Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Hey, let's remember to get a picture with Jenna tomorrow. Yes, and to not wear sweats. Right. I may even break out lipstick. Oh. Could happen. That's a commitment. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 17 years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain, also a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. On this podcast, we talk about what it's like to be writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Today, we are beyond excited to interview actress Jenna Fisher, a.k.a. Pam on The Office, about her new book, The Actor's Life, A Survival Guide, which is fantastic. Yes, and we are both huge Office fans. Um, And the book is enlightening and inspiring for actors, creative types, and And anyone who wants to see pictures of Jenna's first Hollywood apartment, which reminded me a lot of an apartment you had, Liz. The one we said was like a minimum security women's prison. (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) Exactly. Um, We also have a Hollywood hack that is my favorite iPhone trick. And this week's hits and bombs. My bomb is so bad. It is not that bad. It is so bad. (laughs) But first, an update from our Facebook group. Yes, we have over a thousand members now, Sarah, and it's a really cool supportive community. Listeners are like even connecting with each other. Yeah. Someone who's new to LA posted and asked if anyone wanted to meet up for coffee. I know I was so scared no one would respond, Um, but someone did. So we hope your coffee meetup went well. Hopefully they're best friends now. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, And a listener asked about my whole brain healthy lifestyle. And you weighed in on family dinners when you don't cook. Yeah, it's just really fun to be able to, in real time, connect with people and talk and sort of follow up on episodes and see what stuck with people and what they're thinking about and hear their stories and just get to like everybody's comments, which are so fun. Yeah, It's a great way to procrastinate when we're trying to write. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And it's easy to join the group. Just search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook and ask to join. We'll click approve and you're in. Just like that. So there's enough about our Facebook group. Let's talk to Jenna Fisher. Hey, uh, can I talk to you about something? About when you want to give me more of your money? No. Did you want to do that now? We can go inside. I'm feeling kind of good tonight. I was just, um, I'm in love with you. What? I'm really sorry if that's weird for you to hear, but I need you to hear it. 
definitely not good timing. I know that. I just... What are you doing? What do you expect me to say to that? That's one of our favorite clips from The Office and one of our favorite all-time TV couples, Pam Beasley and Jim Halpert, a.k.a. Jenna Fisher and John Krasinski. We are so thrilled to be sitting here with Jenna Fisher today. Jenna was nominated for an Emmy for playing Pam and won two SAG Awards for Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble Comedy. After wrapping The Office, Jenna starred in the limited series You, Me, and the Apocalypse, along with Rob Lowe and Megan Mullally. She also starred in the off-Broadway play Reasons to be Happy, written and directed by Neil Labute. Her film credits include The Giant Mechanical Man, which she also produced, Solitary Man opposite Michael Douglas, and Blades of Glory opposite Will Ferrell. She's in the upcoming film The 1517 to Paris, directed by Clint Eastwood. She also stars in the new ABC show Splitting Up Together. Today, she's here to talk to us about her new book, The Actor's Life, A Survival Guide. Jenna, thank you so much for coming in today. I'm so excited. We're so excited to meet you. We are. And we have to tell you that we mentioned at work that we were going to be interviewing you. And one of the writers said, oh, my God, she changed my life. I did? She she said, I moved to L.A. because of a blog post Jenna Fisher wrote in 2008. Oh, you know, that blog post was the first seed of this book that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, you made such a convincing argument that she left New York and moved to L.A., and she's been here ever since. That's amazing. She's she's very excited for your book to come out. (laughs) That's so cool. No, you know, that blog post was something I wrote because I would have people ask me all the time, how did you get on The Office? How did you get your audition for The Office? As if my audition for The Office was my first audition and the only thing I had to do to be an actress. So I got really thoughtful about it, and I spent about three months writing down kind of my origin story and acting and what it really is to be an actor. And that blog post is still out there. And especially when I'm in New York City, about 50% of the time that I get stopped on the street is people telling me how much they love The Office. And the other 50% are young actors and artists telling me, like, that my teacher gave me your blog post and it helped me so much. And because that kept happening, I was like, this blog post needs (laughs) to be a whole book because I have a lot more to say on this subject. (laughs) No, exactly. And it seems like your book is really an instruction manual for how to make it in Hollywood. The book is called The Actor's Life, A Survival Guide. And it really breaks down exactly what to do if you want to be an actor. And if I were a young actor or a struggling actor, I would sleep with this book under my pillow, which made us curious. If you had had your book when you first moved here, how do you think it would have affected your journey, those eight years that it took to get to the office? It's hard to say, right? There were so many things that I wish I had known that I put into the book. And I think that the biggest, most important one was when I first got to Los Angeles, I thought the first thing I needed to do was get an agent. Mm. Get an agent. Get an agent. That's Uh Agents get you jobs, so I need an agent. And so I spent several frustrating years trying to, quote unquote, network or find these agents or get them to notice me or whatever it was. And I didn't realize I wasn't ready to have an agent Mm. because there are a lot of things you have to do before you're ready to have an agent and you're ready to start working. And I could have been cultivating those things so much sooner and so much more wisely if I had my own book, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, and everyone, of course, knows you as Pam Beasley from The Office. Like, 
amazing role of a lifetime. But it's not, as you said, like you just showed up in L.A. and got that audition and got that role. It took eight years, and it was seems like a pretty painful process, <laughs> a lot of um, low moments. And we would love to have you read a passage about one of those moments, if you don't mind. Sure. Forgot to <laughs> yes, ask I know. We meant to ask before. No, I, I got bar. it. You can guess which, um, yes, which yes, passage such, it is. Such a true story. All right. So here's an excerpt from my book, Read by Me. I had been living in Los Angeles for two years when one day I walked into a pottery barn and suddenly suffered an anxiety attack. I had gone to Pottery Barn to buy a friend something off her bridal registry and panicked when I couldn't afford a single item on her list. As I looked around the store, I wondered if I would ever be able to afford to shop in a place like this. My friend was 24, had a good job, and was getting married. Her list included all sorts of adult things like handcrafted dinnerware set and 400 thread count sheets. My life was a complete mess. I was living with a stranger I'd found through a roommate matching company after my first roommate gave up acting and moved back home. My credit card had gone into default. My acting career was non-existent. I still wasn't in the union and hadn't heard from my agent in months. Oh, and I'd almost just accidentally become a high-priced call girl. My future looked like an endless tunnel of rejection and shitty apartments filled with thrift store crap. So I lost it right there in Pottery Barn, sitting on one of their beautiful Chesterfield leather sofas that I couldn't afford, I lost my shit. What the hell am I doing, I thought. No one cares that I'm here. Between sobs, I heard cheerful Christmas music playing in the store. Oh my god, I couldn't take another extended family Christmas party with questions like, when am I going to see you on TV? And how's Holly weird treating you? I seriously wanted to quit. <laughs> That's an amazing moment. Oh my god. I yeah. think many of us have had moments like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so true. Well, it's funny when I finally got my like first big guest star role on a television show, there's a like a minimum amount of money that you can be paid. So <laughs> yeah. And that amount is like $6,500, and it's a special credit called Top of Show, and it means it's like a big guest star role, like you're a big deal. So I got one of these roles, and I knew I was going to make $6,500, and so I went out and bought myself a couch from Pottery Barn as sort of like, I will shop at this store. Then I got my check in the mail. And I forgot that you give 10% to your agent and 10% to your manager and 25% to the government. And now the government thinks that I make $6,500 a week every week and I'm in the highest tax bracket and I have to wait until the end of the year to get my tax return. And when I got my check, it didn't cover the cost of the sofa. And then I cried. (laughs) I have such an experience of crying and pottery barn sofas in my life. There's a whole point of view, a whole mindset that you have to get into if you're really serious about being an actor, which is you are a company. You are a president of your company. You're also the product or product maker of your company. Mm -hmm. But you have to handle all these things. You have employees. You have an agent who gets 10% of your salary because they do 10% of the work, which means you have to do 90% of the work. You have to keep up your training. You have to hustle. You have to do jobs on the side on your own. You have to get your friends together and do a web series. You are in charge of your destiny, not your agent, not 
sitting around waiting by the phone and that that's just such a huge part of being successful in this industry. Yes. Yeah, your love, own gumption. I love that you say you have to be the CEO of your own company because it sort of makes it practical as opposed right. to just, oh, I'm sitting in a cafe, you know, having fun. It's like, no, you're really in the grind. It's yeah. a grind and you've got to do the work. Like we always compare trying to be a writer to going to law school. We're like, treat it like it's as boring as law school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just you have to do it. But in this profession that we've all chosen, this uh, of Hollywood, there are so many times we feel beaten down um, when we're trying to make it, or even when you do have a successful career, there are times you feel beaten down. And words of encouragement can keep you going for a long time. And we love the story you told about Molly Shannon in your book. I know, my Molly Shannon story. Yes. I feel like there are so few cheerleaders for artists in this world, right? Because oftentimes artists are competing against each other for the same jobs. And so it's really rare when you have someone like Molly Shannon was to me. I met her at a party, the Saturday Night Live party, and they were there working. They were with journalists giving interviews. So it was like a work event. But I was just excited to be there in the presence of all of my favorite comedians. And I honed in on Molly Shannon and I kind of inserted myself into her group. And when the journalists mm-hmm. walked away, I said... Molly, I'm not really supposed to be at this party, but I just wanted to meet you because I've been out here for about a year and I'm a struggling actor and I just, I'm having a hard time, but I just, it makes me feel better to know that like you made it and whatever I said to her. And, you know, she could have just been polite, detached, but polite and been like, oh, thank you so much. Well, good luck and walked away. Right. right? Or she could have been like, what, what are you doing here? You snuck into the, like, I'm sorry. Who are you? Why are you here? Any of those responses would have been completely appropriate. Um, But she went that extra step and she turned and faced me and looked me in the eyes and she held me by the shoulders. And she said, you know what? Just don't give up. Just don't give up. okay? because it took me 10 years, 10 years of no one knowing who I was. And then I landed on SNL and then my life changed. And now everybody knows me. She's like, But you just have to keep at it, okay? Just don't give up, all right? Ten years. You can do it. You can do it. And then she walked away, and that just changed me. And I went home, and I told my mom. And then whenever I would have a low moment, like in Pottery Barn, my mom would get on the phone with me, and she would say, just remember what Molly Shannon told you, babe. It's ten years. You you know, it took her ten years. So it was just this big shift in perspective for me. And I thought, right, right. Okay, okay. And I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And then the crazy thing is that 10 years later, I was at the premiere of my first starring role in a studio movie. This was about two years after The Office had been on the air. And while I was at this party, Molly Shannon walked in. Mm. And so I walked right over to her and I was like, Molly Shannon, I have to tell you a story (laughs) about 10 years ago. And she was like, oh, my gosh. And then you did it. And I'm so proud of you. She was so sweet. And then we had someone take our picture. And I got that picture and saved that picture because, you know, I don't know if after the Pottery Barn incident, if I didn't have that little piece Mm -hmm. of that little voice of Molly Shannon in my head, if I would have believed that I could have made it if I just kept with it. 
I also love that we all want Molly Shannon to be that person, and so I'm glad she was. I know. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. She lives up to yeah. how she seems. Completely. wonderful. So we have to talk about auditions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's nothing more stressful, awkward, embarrassing. We're, like, on the other side. Yes. Um, and it's, like, horrible from our perspective. Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy of 50 no's to one yes? Yes. So this is a great piece of advice that I got from a theater teacher. Your goal when you're auditioning is to create a consistent body of work. So it's not to go in and get that one job, but to start planting seeds with the various casting offices and casting directors that you're a good actor. So you might not be the right good actor for Mm -hmm. this role, but in general, you're a good actor. And because a lot of the reasons why you get or don't get a job are arbitrary and not related to your talent. So the number of jobs that I've lost because they changed the character, someone else was more famous than I was, or whatever it is, you know. And um, so you can have three great actors all reading for one role, and the two people who didn't get it, it doesn't mean they were bad. That's why when you go into an audition, it's okay to get a no. And probably you're going to go on about 49 auditions before you book a job. Mm -hmm. So that's how you should look at the audition process, not as a one-to-one ratio, but as like a, you know, 50 no's for every yes. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go out and collect my 50 no's, and I'm going to do a great job, and I'm going to get a reputation around town. Like, if you call me in, I'm going to give you a solid performance. And eventually the right role will find you, and you'll be the lucky one. Yeah, and I, I love that kind of reframing of a no. We talk a lot about reframing, and it's like, oh, good, I got another no. That means I'm closer to a yes. Yes. And then, you know, that'll keep you from sort of crying in your pillow. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I have so many breakthroughs that happen for me in the audition process. You know, it's an opportunity to try a new thing, to get into a new character or um, – Whatever it is, I have had auditions where I thought, I would never play this role. Why are they calling me in for this? This is so stupid. It's such a waste of my time, right? All of those things that also are just nerves, just right, a right. defense uh-huh. mechanism because of oh, nerves. Yes. But then I go and I do it, and it turns out I didn't humiliate myself. I didn't get the job, but it was okay. I didn't die, yeah, you know? Yeah. And that means that I could maybe play a hooker one day because mm-hmm. I didn't die when I auditioned to play a hooker. It was okay. And I did curse the whole time in my scene and no one <laughs> laughed at me. They believed it, you know? Because I'm always like, no one's going to believe that kind of yeah. language coming from the sweet face. <laughs> so stupid. Even though I have a trucker's mouth in my real life, no one will believe it. Sometimes the purpose of auditioning is also just to reinforce to you that you're good enough and you can do it. Mm-hmm. There's so many bigger, more meaningful things to auditioning than just getting the job. We know a writer who struggles with the fact that she's gotten success faster than a lot of her friends who she thinks are also talented and should be successful and they're not. Mm -hmm. She feels a lot of guilt about it and awkward about it. And she wanted us to ask you if you have any advice on how to deal with that. Because, I mean, you must have experienced that once you got Pam. I have a lot of people that I've been friends with for 20 years who I did theater with out here or who were part of my struggling actor days. And I'm still friends with them. And they are still actors. And they're also still waiters. Mm -hmm. And it is really hard for me to watch that same thing, to see 
talent go unnoticed or for talent to go wasted because there is so much luck in this business. And I say in my book that there's ways to manipulate luck. There's ways uh to create lucky situations and hope that it pays off. But ultimately, there's luck. Now, something that we loved in your book is that you never seem to doubt your talent. Oh, yeah. No, I just didn't put that in the book. (laughs) Well, it really comes across like you have like sort of a strong core of like belief in yourself. You know, I it comes and goes. I I trained to be an actress and I believe that it's what I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that those two things might give me a type of inner confidence. I don't wonder if I should have been another thing or if I should have yeah. done another thing. And along the way, when I would think I should quit, I would think, well, what am I going to do? Like, I'm an actress. Right. Like, yeah. what am I going to do with myself? And so I think maybe that might be part of it. But there are certain roles where I absolutely do think I'm the only person who could have played this role. And for me, I feel like the reason that I became an actress was to play Pam. Totally. Like, that's the one. Thank God you're Pam. Oh, that's my God. That's the only God. thing. Yeah. Like, yes. truly. And then I think there are other roles where, like, oh, no, I'm a good choice for that. Right. You know, I'm good. But I've read things where I'm like, well, I mean, I'll go in. Like, like especially now. So now that I have the benefit of being, like, a quote-unquote name, I'll get called in to do a role. Maybe I'll get it and I'll do it and I'll be fine. But mm-hmm. I'll think, I know there's an unknown actor out there oh, who would kill wow. this, who would kill it. But I'm getting it because I have this body of work. or so, And I'm fine, yeah. but I'm not going to win an Oscar for it. But maybe somebody else would. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I do feel like Pam was the thing that I was brought to Los Angeles to do. And I loved it. And it's also all I ever wanted to do. When I came here, I just wanted to be on an ensemble television comedy like Cheers, and I got to do that. So for me also now, everything else is kind of gravy. You know, if I get a job or I don't get a job, I mean, there's you have to make money. But, right. <laughs> but emotionally, that box got ticked for me with The Office. And then there have been a couple other roles where I, there was a play that I did, a Neil Butte play that I did. And when I read it, I was like, no, I'm, it has to be me. Mm. It has to be me. This I have to play this role. I'm this girl. I have to do it. Which was pretty bold because it was a sequel to a play and the girl before who played the role won a Tony Award. Oh. So that was very arrogant of me to be like, not the Tony winner. Not the Tony. Yeah. She was, By the way, she was unavailable, everyone. I was not the first choice. Um, but I was like, I was like, it's fine that she's unavailable because I shall play the role in the sequel. It's fate. But I mean, so every once in a while, I do feel like there's like a calling for a role and like I really do have the chops for it. But it's not all the time. And also, by the way, that's okay when you're an actor, right? Like, you go to the audition and you might feel like, oh, my God, I don't know. I'm not good enough or I didn't do it enough. Who cares if you're good enough? Does, I, do you know how many things are on TV? Do you right. see how many bad performances <laughs> yes. are on television? Why can't you be yeah. one of them? Yeah. Yeah. Go, really get your, go get your check. Yeah. <laughs> There's tons of bad crap. Every, yeah. I find that with writing. All of it. Everything. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, 
You don't have to be Meryl Streep to be an actor. Yeah. Is this bad advice? No, I this think is you're absolutely advice. right. You just state, yeah. like, I'm here and I'm going to do it. And, and I'm it doing just it. Take, and you stick take with it. ownership. I mean. Yeah. And then just be as good as you can be. And you'll get matched with stuff. And and then you'll get better the more you work, too. You get yes, better. you do get better. And that's the nice thing about being in a creative field. It's like you can keep changing and evolving. And it's nice not to feel like you just plateaued. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I feel like having delusions of grandeur are a, a good thing as when you're an artist <laughs> yes, a little bit. For sure. so you have to be a little crazy about yeah. think that you're fantastic. But it, there's the other piece of it, which is like a reality check. And I, I think I try to be like a combination of both. Is there ever a time when you do give someone the advice to just pack it in and go back to law school? Yeah, you know, I think that if they're having an emotionally dysfunctional relationship with the industry or Mm. the profession, you know those people who are in, like, toxic love relationships, and you're like, Mm. you need to break up with him. Yeah. You need to break up with him. Then I might say, like, I just – this isn't healthy for you. You're not – like, if they're, like – start drinking. Do you know what I mean? Mm, Like, things that you're doing to try to, like, mute the pain of the rejection or if they just – in that way, I would say, I think, what can make you happy? This is making you happy. Right. Like, it's not not that you're going to be happy all the time, but, like, I just don't know if, like, you have the emotional constitution mm. for this life. Yeah, there's so much unknown like, and unpredictability. You have to have this sort of just a stamina to withstand not knowing the future, which I do think is draining for a lot of people and can drive you absolutely insane. Yeah, you have to enjoy the process of being an actor, not the outcome, because you don't know what the outcome will be. That's Um, right. So, Jenna, if there was one concrete piece of advice that you could give aspiring actors to be happier right now, and we think we know what you're going to say. Oh, I want to hear what you think I'm going to (laughs) say. Wherever they are in their career, what would it be? Um, it would be that you can't control the opportunities, but you can control the readiness. So most actors spend too much time worrying about opportunities, getting an audition, getting an agent, getting this, you know, how am I going to get an opportunity to show what I can do? You certainly do have to spend time on that. But what you can control all the time is your readiness for opportunities. You can always be getting better. You mm. can always be studying. You can always be taking a new class. You can get a friend to come over. You can get a bunch of friends to come over and read a play out loud. That's a way to increase your readiness. Steve Martin has such a great quote when asked, how do I make it in this business? He says, be so good they can't ignore you. Mm. So because the more ready you are, for the opportunity, the more successful you will be. So, yes, send out your letters looking for an agent. Yes, try to get auditions. Try to get casting directors to notice you, all that stuff. But it's a huge waste of your time if you're not ready when someone finally says yes. Just be wise and try to think, how can I be more ready? What can I do today that will make me more ready when the opportunity knocks? That would be my advice. That is awesome advice. What did you think I was going to say? Okay. We thought you were going to say, and it's totally connected to what you what you said, we thought you were going to say create your own work. Mm. Because that's a huge element of the book. Yes. It's create so smart. Your own. And I think that's part of it, which is always be working. Yeah. All of the most successful people that I've met and that I know, they are compulsive about making their own work. 
They do improv on the side, but more than that, they don't just take an improv class. They take the three best people from their improv class that they connected with, and they start their own improv group, their right. own improv show. They get their friends together, and they do a podcast. They do a YouTube channel. They do a web series. I mean, I do that all the time. I'm still doing that. I'm still always like, what's another thing I can do? And with writing, like, always be writing, always be doing it more, 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 and finish everything you do. Finish what you start, even if it's crappy, just finish yeah. it. <laughs> I actually gave that piece of advice yesterday. I met with um, someone that I mentor, and I was like, well, I just read this book by Jenna Fisher, and she said, <laughs> she said always started. finish things. It's true. It's so hard to get something finished. And once you have something finished, great. Like, then you've really accomplished something, and you yes. can always make it better. And also, like, after you finish a script, you can give it to someone. Yeah. And then that person can give you notes on it, and then it can get better. Yes. But it can't go through that step until you finish it. I know so yeah. many people who have unfinished scripts, ideas, one-man shows, whatever it is, you know. Or, like, they shoot—you go out to shoot the web series, but then you kind of never—you don't really edit it. Right, or yeah. you, like, right. I don't know. We shot it, you know. So it's got to finish it. It's almost a fear if you finish it and it, it doesn't go anywhere, then you failed. And you just have to embrace the sort of, you know, the 50 no's for one yes. It, that's true. I also find for me the hard part about finishing something is that I'm not doing it anymore. So, like, mm -hmm. especially during droughts or periods of no work, mm -hmm. I'm like, no, 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 I'm working on um, yes. a pitch for oh. a comedy series. <laughs> um, and then it's like, well, what is it? It's like, no, no I'm working on it. Right. You know, if I finish it, then I'm doing literally nothing. Yes. Yeah, that so is a good point. Like... <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Jenna, your advice is so fantastic, not just for actors, but writers, directors. I mean, I think anyone um, in any creative field should read this book. Also, the evolution of your headshots is, is, is very entertaining. Yes, um, reason alone. Side yeah. benefit. Yeah, I enjoyed putting those in there. Um, well, thank you. I don't consider myself an expert in any way in this business or whatever, but I'm happy to share my stories and insights and the things that I've learned. And most of the book, when I was writing the book, I thought, what would I tell little Jenna, little 22-year-old Jenna who just arrived mm -hmm. here, what would I tell her if I could tell her everything that I know now? And so if I'm ever saying, like, you have to finish something, I'm saying, Jenna, you have to right. finish. Like, I'm right. talking to myself. Everything I'm saying is are all things that I'm constantly struggling with, that I'm constantly working on myself. And so um, I'm still a work in progress. And I, and I think everyone is. And it's also it's okay to be that. It's part of it. Well, then you'll have to write another book um, in, like, 15 years about, like, what's next. Yeah. I know, right? Exactly. Good. Now Thank I have something you. I'm doing. Yes. Exactly. And you have to finish. I have to finish it. Thank you for being here. Thank you, guys. All right. You can find Jenna's book, The Actor's Life, A Survival Guide, on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Next up, a Hollywood hack that will bring you joy for years to come. But first, a word from our sponsor. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had 
had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And now it's time for this week's Hollywood hack. This is something I use all the time. If you follow me on Instagram, I'm at sfain. You will see lots and lots of photos taken with my iPhone's portrait setting. So the portrait setting, that's the hack. That's the hack. And it is amazing. It's life-changing. So explain the portrait setting. Okay. Well, first of all, it premiered on the iPhone 7 Plus. So if you don't have an iPhone 7 Plus yet or one of the more recent ones, I don't even know what they are. (laughs) What it is is you go to the camera and you know how you kind of flip through uh, video and photo and whatever. There's a special one for portrait. But basically, it has, I think, a narrow depth of field is what it would be called. Only one thing is in focus and the background is blurry, Mm. whatever the right term for that is. So you can take gorgeous, professional-looking pictures of your kids, of your dog. Um, These are the things I take pictures of that are just like they look so amazing. And like you, I think Adam takes real pictures like from an actual camera of Jack. sometimes. I don't do that. So this has upped my photo-taking game enormously. I can't believe the pictures you post of Violet. They are so gorgeous. It's like they just pop. Yeah. And I don't just use it for personal pictures. It's actually been weirdly helpful professionally. Yeah, like we took a picture of Boifwa with it, or you did, I guess. <laughs> I say we. You took a picture of Boifwa that looked like a professional headshot. She's been using it whenever she needs a picture. Yeah, it's amazing. And then she took one of us with it. We needed a picture for something. And I was like, this is the best picture we've ever taken together. Yeah, we should send it to Matt for, you know. Yeah. If for when we're going to be in deadline with exactly. some, our new hit show. That's right. I actually, this weekend, had a professional photographer come and take pictures of Violet and her brothers. And the photographer, there was one shot that I forgot that I wanted of some really cool-looking cookies, and mm. I wanted a shot with their hands. And she was already packed up. And the photographer said, oh, just take it with your iPhone portrait setting. It'll be just as good. So the bad news is this portrait setting might put some people out of business. <laughs> right. um, but the good news is we can all have amazing photos. And this is another reason I need to get a new phone. I'm like way yeah. back in time with my iPhone and I can't even download the new um, update because I don't have enough room on my phone. So it's time for me to upgrade. But you yes. know I don't like doing that. I know. But this is really a reason to do it. It's worth it. Okay. You're inspiring me. Yeah. So if you have an iPhone, make sure you're using the portrait setting. And if you're thinking about upgrading, do it now because the portrait setting is the best. Next up, my hit of the week and what Sarah thinks is her really big bomb. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now it's time for Hits and Bombs because Hollywood is all about big hits and big bombs. You have a hit this week. Yes, I have a big hit. Last weekend, we went away um, with most of Jack's class to Palm Springs. It was like all the second grade families stayed at a resort in Palm Springs that had this amazing lazy river and splash pad and water slides and a big pool. And we had dinners Friday and Saturday night. We had a DJ. And it was just this amazing weekend where the families hung out and bonded and the kids got to play all day and into the night. And it was just like in a time when, you know, there's bad things happening in the world. It was just a really nice getaway and a nice break from all of the bad news. And I loved it. And Jack loved it. And Adam loved it. And um, it was just life affirming. Oh, that was my hit. That sounds amazing. But you have a bomb. Yes. So here's my bomb. I bought a book about death for my five-year-old. That doesn't that seems I mean, not like a bomb. Well, it was a bomb. Um, Here's what happened. My mom was in the hospital. There was a window when I thought she might actually be, like, very sick and, you know, nearing death. And I jumped the gun. I'm an over-preparer, as you know. And I ordered this book about death. And I read it to Violet. And, like... (sighs) A friend of mine said to me once, I broke my kid. And that's what I felt like. I felt like I broke my kid over the next several days. And my mom has has recovered. So this was totally unnecessary. Over the next several days, Violet was having a really hard time at school and acting out. And um, and her school, God bless her school, it's the most amazing place in the world, called me and said, you know, is there something going on? And I said, well, this was happening with my mom. Anyway, they very gently kind of elicited from her that she was afraid that I was going to die. And that's why she was having this reaction at school. And I mean, they're just the most amazing teachers. Anyway, so I traumatized my child and made her terrified about death. That's my bomb. Well, let me just say, I think anyone (laughs) could have done the same. You meant well. Your heart was in the right place. Yes. We're working through it. She's She's in recovery from my bomb. Okay, good. And you (laughs) threw the book away. We threw the book, yes. We we had a talk about it a couple mornings ago, and she said, I was like, honey, I'm not going to die. Everything's going to be fine. And she said, can we throw the book away. And so at 6.30 in the morning, we, like, in our pajamas, barefooted, walked out of the house through the garage to, like, the main trash bins by the garage and threw the book away. So the book is gone. Good. (laughs) Okay. So I had a parenting family hit and you had a parenting family bomb. (laughs) See what happens next week. Yes. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. If you had any hits and bombs this week, email us or even better, send us a voice memo at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast, give us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps listeners find us. Thanks so much to Jenna Fisher for coming on the show and sharing her book with us. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Lai. Also thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thank you to Gretchen Rubin. 
Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft and Sarah is at S Fame. Remember to join our Facebook group. Just search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Liz, we always talk about how we should take an acting class. Yes. Her book might actually inspire me to do that. Mm, that's exciting. I know. I don't know if I'll have the guts to do it with you, but um, <laughs> I encourage you. <laughs> I'll tell you all about it. <laughs>